Hi everyone, welcome to Faith Community Church. We're so glad that you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn more about our church, you can check us out at woodstockfcc.com. That's woodstockfccfaithcommunitychurch.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. Well, good morning once again. It's kind of nice that it feels a little empty after the kids stone down, isn't it? It's nice. It's a good thing. It means we've got lots of kids here, and I'm excited about that. That's so great. I do want to welcome you once again to Faith Community Church. Uh, this morning, I'll, I'll get right to the, the point and what we're going to talk about today. I want to answer this question. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? We could probably pool the room and come up with a hundred different uh, answers or definitions of that. And even still, I realize there are many in the church, some who have only been in the church a short time, some for a very long time, who would struggle to articulate an answer to this question. So my goal today then is to help you answer it. Not that you're saying you need help, but I'm going to put forth an answer for you. But I want to just uh, not just give you an answer. I want to try to see if we can make the answer accessible, see if we can make the answer explainable, see if we can break it down through all the complexity and get to the core of the answer, a very straightforward way. So we're going to ask the question, at the very core, what does it mean to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus? And in fact, I think we can see the answer clearly stated in John 10, 27, one of my favorite verses. We've talked about this verse a lot as we've explored hearing God. So John 10, 27, Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Pete Gregg, he, he said it like this. I love this quote. He says, All the vast libraries of theological thought, millennia of sermons, and the r- relentless chatter of Christendom can be condensed down into just four surprisingly simple words. Listen and follow Jesus. So at its core, what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? It means you listen and follow Jesus. You know, we really like to com- complicate things, right? Anyone else notice how we like to complicate things? I think is somewhere we've decided that complex means important. The more complex something is, the more important it is. And we view it as a sign of this greatness, but it's not true. And often in our quest to find the important, we like to really make things that are actually quite simple, really complex. So I'm imploring you this morning as we go through this conversation, don't overcomplicate this. It doesn't need to be overcomplicated. Don't confuse and make complex what is actually simple. If you want to be a disciple of Christ, then you have to listen and follow Jesus. Which is why, by the way, we spent so many weeks talking about hearing God speak. Because if you're going to listen to Jesus, you have to be able to hear and recognize his voice. Don't gloss over this. We like to move right into the follow. In fact, the church talks about following a lot, but very little about hearing and listening. And it's so important. The listening is the key. If you're not listening, how do you know what to follow? You have to listen If you want to be a disciple of Christ, that said, of course, as I talk about at the end of every service, and I'll do so again today, listening isn't enough. You have to listen and follow. You need both. You have to 
obey every week, right? If you've been here more than once, you probably know it. I have the same spiel. Talk about we're going to do our take two. And if you don't know what that is, just wait till the end of service. We will do it again. But I always say in the take two, don't stop at listening. We have to move to the second question, which says, how do I put this into action? How do I obey it? And we, we, this take two is not just based out of nothing. It comes straight from Scripture, James 1.22. Uh, it says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I, I put another version at the NLT. It says it this way. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. Hearing that doesn't result in action is not real hearing. This goes back to a long time ago. We did a sermon series on the Shema, this ancient Hebrew Jewish prayer. Uh, this, this Hebrew word, uh, Shema, that's the first word of the prayer. It means hear in English. We translate it as hear. But of course, it doesn't just mean hear. If you want to listen to that sermon, I'm sure it's archived on YouTube somewhere for you to find. But Shema, that word we translate as hear, doesn't just mean hear. It means listen and obey. Both ideas. In fact, if you could say it this way, if you listen, you hear the words, it goes into your head, your brain processes it, and you don't act it out, you don't listen and obey, you're not shamaing. You're not actually listening or hearing. You're just, as James 1.22 says, deceiving yourselves or fooling yourselves. It is always both and, listening and following. So that's what we're going to talk about today, being a disciple of Jesus, which can be summed up in four words, listen and follow Jesus. Let me pray. So Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that you have come before us, that you've prepared this place, that when we come here to meet you, you're already here. We don't have to invite you, but we symbolically do to say that we want you. More than anything else, the reason that we have gathered is to hear from you. So we pray then, Lord, that you would speak to us, each person gathered, each person listening, that when we leave from this service, we, we don't just have some new information that tucked away in our brains, but we leave with the knowledge and uh, assurance that we have heard from you, that you've spoken into our lives specifically and personally, and given us steps to put what you've taught and told us into action so that we can draw closer to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our household runs on routine. I'm a person of routine. Anyone else like routine? If you have young kids especially, you probably know what a routine is. Your kids like routine. Most kids do anyways. Our kids do, and they learn it really quickly. So our house runs on a very strict routine. Our kids know when it's time to get up, although they think it's earlier than I wish it would be. I, I wish I could adjust that routine, but that's a whole other conversation. They know when it's time for breakfast. They know when it's time for snacks. They know when it's time for lunch, when it's time to play, when it's time to do this or that. They have the routine down packed. We run uh, everything on routine in our house. Day to day, it's not all the same activities, but the timing of it is pretty tight. And even without being able to tell time yet, they know somehow they have it instinctually in their bodies that it's time for this. And when that routine gets interrupted... <laughs> That's not a great time. It messes everything up. The, the, the day is all wonky. And often it takes days, if not a week or more, of getting back into the normal routine and the normal flow of things. If you have kids, you probably know what I'm talking about. I'm not crazy. Right? Has anyone else experienced that in their life? Yeah, thank you. Well, there, there, there's a routine that we've had with Lewis, our son. He's now three. Since he was pretty well born, we used to, even when he was a newborn baby, we did some variation of this, but it's continued on uh, until all the way until present day. We do this every day. Uh, our evening routine looks something like this. We, we have snack a little bit after supper, bedtime snack. We still do that with him. Then often we'll go and we'll brush our teeth. 
we'll go put our PJs on, and then we meet on the couch, and we have family prayer time and story time. And we, we do this every night. Uh, we have family prayer time, which these days Lewis insists on doing. If you haven't heard a three-year-old pray, it's pretty precious. <laughs> and Lewis likes to pray. And then we do story time. We read our Bible story together, and we've been doing this for years, and we have uh, variations of Bible stories that we read them from. I can remember when he was a brand-new newborn, and we are sitting on the bed together reading from one of the children's Bible. He, as far as we know, he wasn't understanding the words at that point, but we still did it, and we ingrained this routine that every night we meet together, we pray together, and we read the Bible together. And this is part of our routine. Uh, so last week, uh, we were doing this. We were reading from one of his kids' Bibles. And if you don't have a kids' Bible, you should probably get one as an adult. A lot of them are high-quality stuff. And they break through the complexity that we like to think and get to the heart of the matter. And I, I got some good recommendations if you need some. But uh, last week, we were reading a Bible story called A Wedding at Cana. Maybe you better know that story as Jesus' first miracle. Uh, but as we were reading this together, this was just last week, uh, as I started to think about this, God was showing me and speaking to me from it and showing me some really important lessons that we need to understand when it comes to hearing God. Yes, we're still talking about hearing God, okay? We haven't moved from this yet, but that, after all, hearing God is key to being a disciple of Christ. So today I want to read for you that story. It's called A Wedding at Cana. You can find it in the Gospels. I'm going to read from John's Gospel, John chapter 2. I'll read the first 10 verses of this. So John 2, 1 to 10. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some water out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. It's an interesting story, isn't it? And of course it continues on from there and you, you should read. But uh, usually when we read it and talk about it, we focus on the miracle. And of course we do. That's worth focusing on. It's really important and it has a whole other sermon in there somewhere. But there are a few details that I want to pull out of this story this morning that I find fascinating. So uh, I, I love the whole the setup of it. We have Mary and Jesus and the disciples. They get invited to the wedding. The wine runs out, which is not good. And Mary, she's wanting to help the, the bridegroom and the host save face, and they don't want to have them be humiliated. So she goes to Jesus, and she says, uh, help them. And you got to remember, at this point... Most people don't see Jesus as a divine being. He, he's a rabbi, maybe a particularly good rabbi, but practically no one would have seen him as that long-awaited Messiah, right? In fact, if you read a little further than where we stopped in John 2, you, you would read that it's after this miracle, it says the disciples, his followers, believed him. No one at this point was seeing Jesus as divine, but Mary knows Mary knows, of course, because she said yes to the angelic messenger so many years ago, and she had the prophecy, Joseph had the dream. She said all these things that I have told her, and she knows she's been 
treasuring them in her heart all this time. And she knows, and so she goes without a doubt of Jesus' divinity or power. She goes to him and she says, they've run out of wine. Help them. And Jesus, I think, surprisingly responds, woman, what do you want me to do about it? And I'm thinking, Jesus, that's your mom. What are you doing? Jesus says, what do you want me to do about it? It's not my time. And of course, something changes his mind because he does eventually, as we just read, perform the miracle, turn the water into wine. And it's in fact, better wine than what they were serving already. So apparently something changes Jesus' mind, but we, we don't really know. It doesn't say, but I suspect, this is just my own suspicions. I suspect there was a look in Mary's eye, a look that only mothers know how to give that told Jesus, it's time to change your mind. And so he did. He listened to his mom. But the point, uh, the part of the story I really want to pick up on this morning, it comes from verse 5. Let me read it again. This is so key to being a disciple of Jesus. His mother, Mary, said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to. Do whatever he tells you. And this simple phrase in it is the key lesson from the story that we overlook. The lesson is, anything might happen if we listen to Jesus. Anything might happen, even what we might call impossible, even what we might call miraculous or supernatural, might happen if you just say yes to Jesus, if you do whatever he tells you. And when you start saying yes to Jesus, things beyond your comprehension, imagination, understanding will start happening, and you'll often find yourself on these divine adventures that will have ripples into eternity. Now, I know that last phrase uh, tells a lot of us, you say, not me, okay? I'll say yes to Jesus, but I, I, I highly doubt anything I do in my life is going to have ripples into eternity. It's going to have echoes all the way into eternity. I, I'm willing to listen, I'm willing to obey, but I have no grand ideas that I'm going to do anything that great that will have that much influence or importance. Maybe you say, I've listened, I've obeyed before, and nothing like that's ever happened to me. I've never been a part of anything quite miraculous like that. I'm willing to listen and obey. I'm willing to say yes to Jesus. But mostly when I do in my life, he is asking me to do very normal things. Not the big wow, exciting moments. If that's you, first I want you to know I'm there with you, okay? That's exactly me. I'm describing myself as I read through that. But more importantly, I want to offer you some encouragement. The same encouragement I found as I spent time in this story this week. I was thinking about the servants at the party. You know, those ones doing all the menial tasks, the ones Mary told, do whatever he tells you to. I, I bet they probably saw their role and their actions of having little to no consequence. Even as they listened to Mary, even as they did what Jesus told them to do, I imagine they didn't think they were a part of anything grand or important. I think as they were filling those jars with water, they, they, they probably at most thought we're serving the people at the party or we're just listening to this rabbi who we're told to listen to. We're doing our role, our duty. It's nothing important. But of course, we can see from this side of history that through their obedience, by saying yes to Jesus, following Mary's command to do what he tells them to, they were a part of something much, much bigger, something far more exciting, and their role in the miracle is etched now into history forever. 2,000 some odd years later, we're talking about it. And notice what their role is. Their role isn't to perform a miracle. <laughs> that, that gives me a bit of breathing room, okay? Your role is not to perform the miracle. What's your role? Your role, as theirs was, is to do whatever he tells you to, to listen and follow Jesus. So I want you to be encouraged if you feel forgotten, if you feel like what you're doing is of little consequence, if you feel like you're more of an observer than an active participant in God's plans, I offer you Mary's instructions. Stay close to Jesus 
and do whatever he tells you to. Let's be clear, though. I don't want you to get these grand ideas in your head that if you do whatever he tells you to, your, your life's going to be etched into history and someone's going to talk about your name in a, 10 years from now or 30 years from now. I want to be clear. What it means is if you say yes to Jesus, it does not mean you're going to find yourself in the spotlight. Maybe. Maybe saying yes to Jesus will lead you to a place where the world around you sees as successful, but it's just as likely to, to lead you to a place where the world around you deems you a failure. Saying yes to Jesus is often countercultural. Saying yes to Jesus might not lead you to a place of power and authority, but it might give you a position of power and authority. Saying yes to Jesus is not a promise that you'll live a life free from harm or danger. Of course, we talked about this one a lot. All of the disciples face danger for saying yes. People around the world today are facing persecution we dare not even imagine because they continue to say yes to Jesus. Saying yes to Jesus, I don't exactly know what it means or where it will take you. I just don't want you to get this idea that if I say yes to Jesus, it means I'm going to have this grand life that, that means no, no harm, no, no disease will touch me, nothing will happen, and I will be the most important person in the world because that's just not what we see through Scripture. But what I can tell you is that as you say yes to Jesus, and as you do so continually, it will lead you consistently back to the one who knows you. That's what Jesus says, right? Right in John 10, 27, back where we started, right in the middle of listening and following, right? Listen and follow Jesus. But right in the middle of those two, Jesus says, I know you. He says, my sheep, listen to my voice. I know them. I know them. And they follow me. So what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Down to the core, cut through the complexity, get to the simple. What does it mean? It means listening to and following Jesus. It means we heed Mary's instructions to do whatever he tells you. Think about this. Let's go through a thought experiment. What would happen if we, by we I mean those who profess to be Christians, those who profess to be disciples of Christ, what would happen if all 2.38 billion, as of recent count, that's a lot, 2.38 billion of us around the world, what would happen if we started saying yes to Jesus? What would happen if we started saying yes to Jesus? Some suggest if Christians woke up and started saying yes to Jesus, we would see the greatest redistribution of wealth in the history of the world as we took serious the command to take care of the poor, the widows, and the orphans. Others suggest that generations of hatred and bitterness would be broken as apologies, long-awaited apologies were made, as we seek, as the Bible tells us, as far as it depends on us to live at peace with everyone and to be reconciled. God-honoring media would not be an afterthought if we took the command to say yes to Jesus seriously, but it would soar to the top of the charts in all industries as we took serious the command to guard our hearts and mind from what we view and listen to. Perhaps most exciting, if all 2.38 billion Christians said yes to Jesus' command to go and to share the good news, the gospel message of God's immense love with even just a couple of people, vast swarms of people would hear the good news and many might respond. In fact, here's the math of it. If every professing Christian shared the gospel with just four people, four, if every professing Christian shared the gospel with four people, every single person on earth would hear the good news of Jesus in 24 hours. And think about this, if just one out of every hundred people who heard the good news of Christ said yes, tomorrow morning there would be eight million new Christians. Isn't that something? 
one day, imagine, just imagine what the world would look like if professing Christians would listen and follow Jesus. The world would be unmistakably a better place for everyone. And and this is key. I want to make sure we slow down here. Do you know what has to happen for this to take place? To see this become a reality, to see our homes and our communities and the world around us change dramatically, to see millions turning their hearts over to God. Do you know what has to happen for that to take place? It's not about non-Christians becoming Christian. We like to say that because it kind of takes us off the hook, but that's not it. No, if we want to see these things become reality, it's about people who call themselves Christian acting like Christians. If we want to see this become a reality, it requires Christians to be Christian. That is, people who listen and follow Jesus. What problems that the world is facing would be completely and utterly demolished and obliterated if those of us who profess to be Christians would truly make Jesus the Lord of our lives? If we, in real and practical ways, would listen and follow Jesus. Here's the problem, because that sounds great. (laughs) For many of us, our typical response when we do listen to Jesus is, yes, but. We say, yes, we're excited about it, except that it's usually followed by, but. We'll listen, we may hear, we may respond with excitement, but it's almost always followed with a but. We say, yes, Jesus, this is good. I I hear what you're saying, uh, but do you understand? Do you understand what might happen if I actually do that? Do you understand what, what, what I would have to give up or sacrifice to love the person who wronged me? Do you understand that this is risky for me? Do you understand what others might think? They might start calling me names. They might think I'm fanatical. They might even call me weird. Do you understand that I, I, I get what you're asking, okay? I hear you. Yes, I know what you're telling me to do, but I don't have the skills for this. We've heard people in the Bible say that. I don't have the words for this. I don't know what to say. We've heard people in the Bible say that. Yeah, I don't have the courage to go forward with this. I want to say yes, but there are a million buts. And when it comes down to it, then, what we're saying in this is that we prefer Jesus as an advisor than as Lord. That's pretty profound. I'm going to say it again. I can say it's profound because it's not my original thought, okay? (laughs) But it's important that we understand this. Many of us prefer Jesus as an advisor than actual functioning Lord of our lives. We'll go to him when we're going through something. If we're trying to figure something out with a decision we need to make, we have to weigh the pros and cons. We'll go to him. That's good. You should go to him. But what we do is we, 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 we go to him for some advice, And, you know, we want to figure this out. We want him to give us some thoughts that we can consider before we ultimately make the decision. That's what you do, right? If you go to someone who's good at giving advice, if they're a good advisor, you you actually listen to what they say, but ultimately you weigh their thoughts, you weigh their commands, and you say, is this good for me? Is this going to work out? And you ultimately are the one that wants to hold on to control and make the decision. So I think many of us treat Jesus as an advisor, but we see the call in Scripture is not to have Jesus be your advisor. It's to have him be the functioning Lord of your life. What does that mean? It means you willingly submit to his authority. You willingly submit to his authority. That means understanding that God has your best interest at hand and that he is utterly faithful so you can trust what he says as you submit 
to his rule in your life. Jill Weber, she says it like this. This is a great quote. She's talking about in her prayer. She says, basically, yes. Yes to whatever God thinks I should do because he's obviously smarter, wiser, more creative than I am. Yes, because he knows the opportunities or peril lurking around the next corner. Yes, before he tells me what I'm saying yes to, I say yes. Then I listen with the intent to obey what I hear. Maybe you're thinking, okay, I'm, I'm ready. I want to say yes. I want Jesus not just to be an advisor, the function of the Lord in my life. And you know, it's pretty clear what he tells me to do through scripture. And that's good. But, but what about the other ways? You know, I, I read scripture and I can see what Jesus tells us to do. I can look at the life he lived and modeled, his words, his actions. And because scripture is the authoritative word of God from God, I know that whatever I see in here uh, as Jesus doing is something I can do and I can say yes to. But what about the other ways, right? We just spent, I don't know how many months now, talking about hearing God in all of the ways that God wants to reveal himself to us. Uh, how, how do I know, how do I be sure that I'm hearing him so that I can say Yes, and that's a good question. Good thoughts. I'm glad you had that question because we don't just want to arbitrarily do whatever we feel or sense uh, or, or hear and we think this might be from Jesus. We don't arbitrarily just go out and do it. Why? Because we're human and we might get it wrong. Are you humble enough to say that? I might get this wrong. So what do we do? We practice listening with humility. And we've talked about this before, but it bears repeating, which means how do you practice listening with hearing? You test what you hear. And as we become more familiar with the voice of Jesus in our lives, we will be able to respond quicker, but especially as we are learning to listen and hear and discern his voice, we should carefully test what we hear or sense or feel. There's a really easy test. I, I think I've shared this before. All you got to remember is ABC. Everyone can do their ABCs here? Yeah, good. Someone, you guys aren't making me confident. You can do ABCs, right? Thank you. <laughs> Ready? First is this. A is ask. You say, is this affirming? Or you ask, A, is this affirming? B, is it biblical? And C, is it Christ-like? Is this affirming? Is this biblical? Is this Christ-like? These are not listed in order of importance, okay? They're listed in the order of the alphabet. I trust you can do the first three parts of the ABC. Ask, or affirming, biblical, Christ-like. So you start with affirming. Is this affirming? That's, that's saying, is this helping me or someone else grow closer to Jesus? Affirming, we have these ideas that affirming means happy, go lucky, exciting, and bubbly, and good. Uh, but affirming does not always mean happy. Rather, affirming means building up. Is this building others up or tearing them down? Is this helping me? Even if it's a difficult message to hear, is this helping me become more like Jesus? It's really easy. If it's not building you or others up, it's not from God. If it's not pulling you closer to God, it's not from him. The second one, B, is it biblical? This I don't, shouldn't even need to talk to you after the last 12 months of preaching on this. If what you feel or sense or hear is not in agreement with what you find in Scripture, God's authoritative word, the Bible, you ready? It's not from God. It's that simple. It's that black and white. And then lastly, is it Christ-like? That's you asking, does this line up with the character and mission of Jesus? How do we learn the character and mission of Jesus? You read your Bible. Put what you hear to the test. Is it affirming? Is it biblical? Is it Christ-like? If it passes, then it's time to follow. You listen, test. If it's from God, if it passes the test, you follow. Four words that describe the entirety of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Listen and follow Jesus. And as you say yes to Jesus, and as you say yes to him again and again, 
as you listen and follow. Uh, your life, I think you'll notice, will kind of be like that wine at the party. You can say the best is yet to come. So I don't know exactly where you are this morning. I don't know where you are in your relationship with Jesus, but I do know that saying yes to him and yes over and over again is the best thing you could ever do. So I want to give you that opportunity this morning. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to be a part of your life. Maybe you have only ever treated as an advisor, but not the Lord, and you want to get serious with him. If so, you just have to respond to his invitation. There's no special words you have to say. There's no special actions you have to do. The Bible says this, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you're saved. So I'm going to close us in prayer. If you'd like to say a simple prayer, you can follow along with me. You want to say a simple prayer of saying yes to Jesus. Just say this along with me. So let's pray. Jesus, I know I am far from perfect. But the Bible says that you love me anyways. And that you came to die so that I could live. And so today I say yes. I say yes to your love. I say yes to your grace. I say yes to you as the Lord of my life. Amen. Listen, if that was your first time saying that prayer, boy, I would love to hear from you. I would love to celebrate with you. Reach out to me. I'd like to do that. Do you understand that that means you are now part of the family of God, that you are now a disciple of Jesus? And of course, you even know what that means. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Listen and follow Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. Your job is to say yes. Jesus says, repent, be baptized. Your job is to say yes. He says, pick up your cross daily. We don't like that one so much, but your job is to say yes. He says, love God and love others. Your job is to say yes. He says, no, 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 I want to make sure you get this. Love even your enemies. Your job is to say yes. He says, go into all the world and tell them about me and the Father's love. Your job is to say yes. Jesus also tells us that when we gather together, one thing we can do is partake in communion. Communion is Jesus' invitation to celebrate in remembrance what he has done for us, but also to look forward and see that as we continue to say yes as he speaks into our lives, the best is yet to come. And so we do that today. We're going to respond to Jesus' invitation to come to the table. You should have received a little cup on your way, and if you didn't, you can throw your hand up and we'll make sure you get one. And we're going to take communion together. So at the top, there's a little plastic tab. You want to pull that open, and that's going to get the bread out for you. And I want to lead you through this. And so we remember then, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So I want you to give thanks. Would you give thanks and would you eat in remembrance of what Christ has done as we look forward to the best that is yet to come? Would you eat? In the same way, after supper, he took the cup And he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. Would you take, would you give thanks 
and would you drink in remembrance of what Christ has done and in the excitement for the best that is yet to come. For whenever you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until the best comes again. He comes again. Let me pray, and then we'll move into our time of listening. So, Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your great love. Now, Lord, as we take this moment to slow down, to not rush out to the busyness that awaits us, but to slow down and to listen, would you speak? Would you give us ears that hear? May we say, as Samuel did, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Would you speak to us? Would you give us the courage to follow your leading as you give us instruction on how to live it out in obedience so that we can listen and follow you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I've alluded to a few times, something we do at the end of every service here, we call it Take Two. This is where we give you two minutes to ask God two questions. This is not just a reflection. Maybe in part it's a reflection, but we believe it's much deeper than that because we believe God speaks and what he has to say is worth listening to. So we want to make sure we give you the opportunity every week to, before you go, to slow down and to listen, to get really practical here. So we want you to ask God these two questions. God, what is one thing you're saying to me? What are you speaking to me? What are you saying? Ask that question, then listen. But always move to the second question, which says, okay, God, now that you've spoken, now that I've heard from you, what do you want me to do about it? How do you want me to follow? How do I put this into action this week? So we're going to give you two minutes to ask these two questions. Then I'll come back and I'll close our service and dismiss you. So we'll start that timer for you right about now.
Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Why don't you stand as I read the benediction this morning? pray you take this with you into your week as you listen and follow. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. I pray you go with that peace this morning. Thanks for joining.